Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to Episode 3 of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World where we look at mysteries, both natural and supernatural, anything that's strange, odd, and makes you wonder, the claims and counterclaims from the perspectives of both faith and reason. And in this episode, we're talking about Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today, as always, is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, Bigfoot, what, you know, what are the, one of these great mysteries of our modern day, what is it about Bigfoot? What 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 do we what do people claim this is? So obviously, the basic claim is that there is an undiscovered species of tall, hairy biped bipeds here in North America, and they're called Bigfoot because they leave large footprints. They're also known by other names, uh, Sasquatch, based on a Native American term. Uh, they're sometimes in some regions they're called skunk apes. Uh, or Momos in Arkansas, where I grew up, uh, there's a town called Folk, and uh, the, the so-called Folk Monster <laughs> is uh, sometimes dis- uh, regarded as a Bigfoot. And there was even a documentary uh, back in the 70s about the Folk Monster called The Legend of Boggy Creek that was made by a filmmaker from Arkansas who grew up near Folk. And uh, I am... a I was wasn't born in the seventies, but I grew up in the seventies, and there was a huge Bigfoot kind of explosion in pop culture at the time. Uh, there were a lot of documentaries about Bigfoot and other monsters. Uh, it was all over all over the news. Uh, Bigfoot met the six million dollar man um, <laughs> on that show. I remember that <laughs> played by Andre the Giant, and it, and so it was something that was part of my childhood. Incidentally. The um, the six million dollar man appearance of Bigfoot is interesting because in that uh, it was like a two parter. And I think he may have come back after that even. Um, But in the in that presentation of Bigfoot, he wasn't just an an animal. Um, He was a robot that had been built by aliens. (laughs) And uh, wouldn't you know, some Bigfoot. Uh, if you follow the Bigfoot literature today, some Bigfoot investigators claim that there is an association between Bigfoots and UFOs. Uh, some claim that they're extraterrestrial in origin or extra dimensional in origin, that wow. they're from another dimension and can kind of fade in and out of existence. Um, those claims are ones we're not really going to be looking into today. Uh, for our purposes today, we're just going to be considering the uh, more naturalistic hypothesis that there could be a, a an undiscovered or cryptozoological species of tall, hairy bipeds here in North America. And I do remember, like that, the, the the Bigfoot phenomenon has kind of faded a little bit from popular uh, culture. There aren't as many came- sightings. It came back in yeah. a big way after the 2000s. It's kind of had ups and downs. The modern Bigfoot phenomenon began in the late uh, 1950s, 
And then it, there was kind of an upsurge in the late 60s, uh, particularly in connection with the Patterson film, uh, which we'll talk about. And then it was big in the 70s and it kind of faded and it's kind of come back. And these days you have a lot of people who um, who are Bigfoot hunters who have shows on, I guess, the History Channel and things like that. Um, there's been more than one show about finding Bigfoot and, uh, apparently, uh, uh, there are people who do, who will on the weekends and stuff go squatching, uh, <laughs> which as I heard one Bigfoot, uh, investigator explain it is really just going camping for the weekend, but with some hope you'll find Bigfoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what's the, uh, the counterclaim against big, uh, the existence of uh, Bigfoot? So the counterclaim is that all of the Bigfoot sightings are due to hoaxes or misidentifications or people's imagination, that there there is no large, undiscovered, bipedal creature in North America and uh, and that there couldn't be, that we would have found it by now if there was one. Okay. And we'll get into the... To, to these counterclaims a little bit uh, as we go along. Yeah. But, but so we, we always look at things from both a faith perspective and a reason perspective. I think in the case of Bigfoot, there's not a lot to say, perhaps, on the faith perspective. There's not. Um, there are a couple of points. The first one is that the church wouldn't have a problem with Bigfoot existing or not existing. Just like, you know, until 1902, the mountain gorilla had not been discovered in Africa. And the church didn't have a problem with the idea that there is or is not a mountain gorilla in the same way uh, the church wouldn't have a problem with some other primate species being discovered today. What what would be what would need to be asked, though, upon such a discovery is what's the relationship of this thing to us? Um, could it be a member of the human family, broadly speaking, because there are. Um, people, I mean, who, who come in different sizes. Um, there are Watusi who are very tall. There are pygmies who are very short. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's a member of the human family, if it's just a tall, hairy member of a human, of the human family, then it's gonna have rights. And, and when we say and, human family, we're thinking Homo sapien, like specifically the same species. Is if it's it could be a, another variant of Homo sapiens. In fact, some Bigfoot researchers who have been looking at Bigfoot DNA lately, or purported Bigfoot DNA, um, say that it seems to be another form of human being, uh, Homo sapiens. Um, on the other hand, it could be a broader hominid. Uh, that's that is just an animal, but we need to assess it. The weird weirdest case would be if it had human level intelligence, but was not a member of our family. Uh, in that case, we would need to presume that it has rights, just like if we met an intelligent alien species, we need to presume that they have rights, even though they're not a member of our family. But that would be really weird to discover another intelligent species here on Earth. The general presumption, and here we're kind of blending into the reason perspective, but the general presumption would be since they don't appear to be uh, tech, uh, they don't make technology, and as far as we know, they don't have tools that they wouldn't, or at least not tools more advanced than those a gorilla or a chimp might make, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't be uh, intelligent the way we are, and thus they wouldn't have rights. 
Okay. All right. But they would be really rare animals that you wouldn't just want to haul off and kill because the fact they're, they haven't been discovered at this point would mean there's a vanishingly small number of them. And you don't want to disturb their breeding population any more than you want to uh, disturb any other uh, endangered species. And so that brings us into that, into the reason perspective, uh, which will be the bulk of what we talk about then. So, um, you know, we, we, you talk about that because th there would necessarily have to be a very few of them. Um, could you go a little deeper into that? Like, so why, why is it necessarily true? And I, I could probably guess, but just to kind of tease that out a little bit, mm -hmm. why is it necessarily true that there would have to be very few of them if they've remained undiscovered till today? Because uh, we here in North America have, you know, filled up the continent. Now, it, sometimes people have the idea that we filled it more than we have. But as someone who's done lots of cross-country road trips and cross-country train trips, I can tell you there's lots of land out there that yeah. we're not over. We are not overpopulated in America. Um, there's just tons of of natural spaces out there. And undoubtedly, there are um, undiscovered species here in America, uh, just like el there are elsewhere in the world. Um, but the thing is, most of those species are really small. Um, they're, most of them, in fact, are going to be microscopic. There's loads of microscopic organisms we've never discovered. Um, just recently, we found a whole new class of, uh, of life forms uh, microscopic ones that are now called the archaea because they're very old. We had no idea that these things existed, and they're a huge branch of life, but they were only very recently discovered. And they were able to remain hidden for so long because they're microscopic. And similarly, the smaller you are, the more of an advantage you have in terms of being able to stay hidden and avoid predators. And so undoubtedly, there are lots of little animals, insects and small reptiles, small mammals, small birds that have not yet been classified. We periodically read about new species being found in other parts of the world. But here we've got uh, uh, in America, we've got a lot of biologists we have that are and, and ecologists who are cataloging uh, what's out there in nature. My own sister used to work for the forestry department and she would go out and do snail surveys where they would have a given plot of land and their job was to find all of the snails in this plot of land and do an estimate of the snail population and they'd classify them by species. And they had to be careful because the snails they would have to make sure you don't count the same snail twice. They would pick them up and put them on like a, 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 something they'd carry around, like a flat surface. And the problem is some snails are actually snail predators that eat other snails. And they look just like the ones they were studying. And so you'd have to monitor your snail survey board <laughs> periodically because you might witness a slow motion attack of one of the predators going after one of the prey snails. Um so we have people whose job is to study these natural environments and find out what's living in them. And the and we even have lots of Bigfoot hunters in this country doing that squatching on the weekends. And it's hard to stay hidden if you're uh, large 
you know, like say seven or eight feet tall, like Bigfoots are supposed to be. And if there's a lot of you. And so given all of the eyes we've got in North America, including artificial ones like cameras and artificial ears, like recording devices out in the woods, um, there would have to be very few uh, Bigfoots in order for them to remain not undetected, but unproven and scientifically undiscovered for so long. And yet there'd have to be a certain number of them to have us an ongoing population. Right. Because they've, they've got to hook. I mean, they, they apparently like all other macroscopic life forms are sexual in nature and therefore they've got to be hooking up to make new baby Bigfoots. And <laughs> so they, they have to find each other. Now, if they're hominids, if they're related to us, which they would seem to be based on the way they're described, um, then they would presumably travel in groups um, because we do, chimpanzees do, gorillas do, monkeys do. It's a primate thing. It's a primate thing. We're yeah. social creatures. So, you know, they, they presumably wouldn't just be lone rangers like house cats are. Um, so you need populations, little tribes of Bigfoots that could manage to, despite the fact they're all in a group together, stay hidden from human detection. And and there are there have been uh, historically in the fossil record uh, large hairy bipeds non non hominid bipeds in the past. Right, right, and well, and some exist now. Um, you know, gorillas are okay. are big by, compared to us. Um, I mean, they may not be as they may not stand as tall as we do because they're not fully bipedal. But in terms of raw mass, they weigh more than we do. And there have been big ones in the past, like. Uh, there's one that was native to Southeast Asia called Gigantopithecus, and it's not entirely clear whether they were fully upright or partially upright the way gorillas are, but they were apparently quite big, some of them. Uh, and, and it's not unreasonable that, to suppose that, uh, you know, that a large, larger-than-human biped could survive down to the present day. The question is, could it remain undiscovered? Right. I noticed in the uh, the Wikipedia article on Gigantopithecus that they estimate some were as large as nine, uh, ten feet tall, almost. Yeah, which is exactly. Wow, that would be. Uh, so if you if if you haven't, by all means, go to Wikipedia and look at the yeah. article. The link will be in the show notes. Yeah. But if you imagine a ten foot tall orangutan, <laughs> that's basically what Gigantopithecus could be like. Uh, I don't want to go squatching and meet one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so, so what else? So the, there have been reports. You mentioned that the modern uh, Bigfoot era starts around 1950, but there have been reports, right. you said, of Native Americans have a word, Sasquatch, uh, mm -hmm. for Bigfoot, too. Yeah, it's just one of a number of terms. And, you know, there are different terms in different Native American languages. And so there have been these reports. Um, but that's kind of a two-edged sword because – if you say, well, hey, Native Americans have a legend of these, you know, wild, hairy people. Well, guess what? Europeans have legends of wild, hairy people, too. Uh, the wild man legend is all over Europe. And and yet um, we haven't found and not giant humans. So right. they're not talking Bigfoots, just ordinary humans 
that are in height, but that are like covered in hair and live out in the woods. And we haven't found those. And Europe is much more populated than America. Um, you know, England is like the size of Arkansas, but has, which is one, you know, a fairly modest sized state, but it's got 60 million people in it. There's, yeah, and, there's, there's not a lot of true wilderness left in Europe. Exactly. And, and, and it turns out that the wild man legends over there were not, I mean, it, maybe they were based on some people, I mean, ordinary humans who went out in the woods and lived, uh, you know, kind of early back to the landers or something, but there, they, there was not an alternative species of humans in recorded history living in, in Europe. You'd have to go back into prehistory to find like Neanderthals and things like that. Is it possible that Neanderthals or something similar lived for quite a long time alongside modern humans? We know that Neanderthals and Homo sapiens sapiens. Uh, so Neanderthals are call, are considered a, another branch of Homo sapiens. They're sometimes called Homo sapiens Neanderthalensis, whereas we would be Homo sapiens sapiens. And uh, we know that they did live alongside each other for many thousands of years, but um, they eventually met their end either by being outcompeted by our ancestors during the last ice age, in part because our ancestors had a more flexible diet than they did um, and thus could make better use of food resources, or because they interbred with us and were absorbed into our population or some combination of that. So we do know that they lived alongside each other for a long period. It's possible that they were, and I know I've seen it speculated that like as our ancestors increased and took over the better lands, they may have been pushed back into like living in, in high mountain regions and stuff, which they would have been relatively well suited for, but land that our ancestors weren't that interested in. So it's possible that they, and we know they survived for quite some time alongside us, but it hasn't been, you know, within recorded history. Right. And, um, and that's the point. So just the fact that you have local folklore saying, hey, there's this race of special people, whether they're particularly hairy or particularly tiny, like the little people legends that you also have in the British Isles and elsewhere in Europe or particularly big, like the big Bigfoot legends here in America, just native legends about a strange group of people isn't really good evidence that they exist. Okay. But there, there is, um, you know, despite the, the, the implausibility of a, a large hairy biped going undiscovered, um, mm -hmm. there have been lots of physical evidence presented to us. I mean, most obviously the Bigfoot casts that give the, that right. we've given it its name. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, people have, especially since 1958 found big footprints, uh, in the ground, in, in the dirt, um, some of them weathered, um, and, and people have taken like plaster casts of them and so forth. Um, so that's one kind of physical evidence. Another kind of physical evidence are trace cases of like little bits of hair or blood um, that uh, uh, that some of which have been submitted for DNA analysis recently. Um, in addition, there have been 
sightings, some of which have been caught, have been recorded. I mentioned the Patterson film. The, the guy named Patterson and one of his buddies went out searching for Bigfoot in the 19, late 1960s and very quickly got this film that you see on a lot of these documentaries of this, you know, kind of dark, hairy creature lumbering along in, in the forest. Very famous film. You, you, you'll, if you look up Patterson film on YouTube, you'll recognize it immediately. Others, um, some people, you know, hunters and naturalists will set up cameras in the woods that snap pictures of things automatically when uh, a motion detector is triggered, or you sometimes hear recordings that people have made of what they propose to be Bigfoot calls. Um, so you have, you know, alleged vocalizations of Bigfoot. The problem is that all of these, I mean, they're interesting, but they're not really good evidence, and they're plausibly explained in other ways. Um, let's start with the footprints that people find. Some of these may be the footprints of ordinary creatures, like bears, um, and it, and they may not look exactly like a bear footprint because the texture of the soil is such that um, it gets distorted by moisture or rain or uh, you know, the humus on the uh, forest floor. And so the imprint ends up looking a little different. But then, frankly, a bunch of them are hoaxes. I remember watching a documentary. It had to be, it was when I was a boy. It had to be in the late 70s. At the latest, it was the early 80s. And it was a Bigfoot documentary. And they were interviewing this father and son about these Bigfoot footprints that they had found. And the Bigfoot footprints they had found just coincidentally consisted of a large adult set of Bigfoot footprints and a smaller child set of Bigfoot footprints. And even at the time, I said, this father and son are father and son hoaxing Bigfoots. <laughs> um, you know, this is just too coincidental that the father and son would find father and son Bigfoot prints. Um well, okay, even beyond that, um, a number of years ago, uh, a man named Raymond Wallace died. And after he died, his family found a set of Bigfoot feet yeah. in his belongings. And he was known, uh, at, at least according to people who knew him, said he was a pathological liar. And the evidence that emerged was that he began in California in 1958, starting to deliberately leave these large footprints and got the modern Bigfoot phenomenon rolling. Um, so there are problems with, uh, with a lot of the alleged foot casts and footprints that people have seen. Um, in terms of some of the, like the Patterson film, well, guess what? Uh, the after, in recent years, a costume maker emerged and said, I made that. It's a modified gorilla costume. I was the I sent it to Patterson. He bought it. And um, and that's my work. And another guy who knew Patterson said, yes. And guess what? I was the guy who was inside of it. And so we have evidence for the Patterson film being a hoax. Um, now, I don't think everything is a hoax, but we know some things are. 
other things like still photos. Sometimes you see photos of Bigfoot that people have proposed and you can't hardly make it out. You're looking at a really dim shape in the woods that doesn't even have a recognizable outline. And I've seen pictures like this and and I don't even necessarily see anything there. Um, but I have people who will be saying, oh, yeah, that's Bigfoot right there. And I'm going, I don't see it, dude. Um, this looks like a plausible case of what's called pareidolia. Um, humans have a natural tendency to want to find patterns. And our brains are wired to find patterns in data, even if, even if it's not there. Because there's an advantage to recognizing a potential danger that could be rec- that could be represented by a pattern and there's not much of a cost to sensing a pattern when there's really nothing there you you if you get closer if 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 there is a danger there you've been alerted to it if there's not a danger there you go oh well i guess there wasn't anything and so our brains are wired to look for patterns and a lot of the patterns that people see in um, in in photos in the forest are just combinations of light and shadow that don't really don't really signify anything. Then there are, and the same thing can kind of be true of some of the recordings you hear of Bigfoot calls. It may it may be some other kind of creature, but people are thinking it's stranger than it than it is. Um, then there are misidentifications. Sometimes you'll see pictures that don't look exactly like a bear but it if you look at it carefully you can say okay this is a sick bear this bear has mange or this is a deformed bear it's a bear with a birth defect or it's very and thin uh, very it's yeah. an emaciated bear right. it's starving um and so there are plausible misidentification cases. I'm sure lots of people have seen perfectly healthy bears standing upright in the woods and thought that's a Bigfoot, you know, because they saw it at a distance and they were expecting a Bigfoot. And so that's what they think they saw. So um, the the evidence that we have in terms of these modern um, modern cases of whether they're trace cases or uh, images it's not really good. We don't have a lot of great evidence here. Especially uh, given that today, nearly everyone carries around with them a high-definition uh, camera. Yeah. <laughs> that they can be used at a moment's notice, almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are, there are a lot better UFO videos than there are Bigfoot videos. <laughs> right, put it, right. Put it that way. Um, also, it's significant that we haven't found the bones of a large biped. here in America. Um, And now I know Bigfoot advocates will say, well, there's a reason for that. Um, We don't find bones for most animal deaths because they get uh, scavenged by other creatures and they get scattered and disturbed and they get weathered and destroyed and things like that. Um, And some have even suggested that Bigfoots deliberately hide their bones, that they may bury their dead. Um, but you would think after all this, after all this time looking for Bigfoots, we would find something mm-hmm. and we haven't. Also, if these things are native to North America, they would have been here for a long time. Why don't we find fossil bones the way we find, you know, 
the bones of Gigantopithecus over in Asia. Um, you would expect us to find something like that, and and we haven't thus far. So maybe we should go right then to the bottom line. So what is, what is the bottom line with the Bigfoot phenomenon? The bottom line for me is that there's nothing intrinsically implausible to the idea of a new species of primate that is tall and hairy and lives in North America. That's a reasonable hypothesis in and of itself. I think it would be super cool if it was true. I would love one day for Bigfoot to be proven. I think that would be awesome. But based on the evidence we have to hand, we just don't have good evidence for that. And given the number of eyes we have in North America that have been looking at wildlife in general and looking for Bigfoot in particular, after all these decades and given the known history of hoaxing, it's probably not true. It would have been one thing to propose it back in the 1970s, but today in the early 21st century, almost the year 2020, the way technology has progressed and the population has grown, it's just not likely that there's a population of undiscovered large bipeds in America. Okay. Well, I think that's that pretty much sums it up for us. So, folks, what do you think of Bigfoot? Have you seen Bigfoot? Do you have a sighting? Do you go squatching? Uh, yeah. <laughs> with, you know, Tell let, us. T- let us know. Um, and you can do that by visiting uh, sqpn.com or the SQPN Facebook page, finding the link to this show, and leave a comment there. Or send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. Um, you can either send it as a as typed out as a message, or you can record a voice memo on your smartphone and using the share function, share it through an email. Uh, we'd love and, to get your and, voice feedback. And by all means, tell me why I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong about this. <laughs> and uh, I also want to remind you that uh, your uh, likes on the Facebook post, your comments, uh, wherever you see it, uh, are extremely helpful. Retweet on Twitter. Uh, sharing the the link to the show to your friends helps us build an audience. It's still a very new show, and we want to really build an audience because we think it's a lot of fun. We're having a, a blast. We think people will enjoy it. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, and if you are enjoying it, if you could go to iTunes um, and review the show there, uh, give us five stars if you can, and then re- you know write a little bit about why you're enjoying uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Uh, Please subscribe to the feed. Of course, uh, we're going to be we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're in TuneIn, uh, we're everywhere we can we can get the show. And if you're listening on YouTube, not just subscribe, but also click the bell to get the notifications. So uh, so those are all the ways we want you to help us. Um, meanwhile, you can find links to uh, more resources on uh, Bigfoot uh, in our show notes, as well as uh, links to our personal social media and websites uh, at sqpn.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us the mysterious world. Thank you very much, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. <laughs>